last week, someone drove over to my house and dropped off this beautiful loaf of raisin bread. I unwrapped it, breathing in its glorious yeasty smell, and then sliced it to find it dotted with purple and golden raisins. It was a thing of beauty. The children were excited to eat it for breakfast the next day, which they did with a touch of coconut oil and a drizzle of honey. For two days, they feasted on this loaf of bread, and it was good for my heart to watch them enjoy something so much. I noticed on the second day, though, that they talked about how I used to make bread every second day. They recalled measuring out the wheat berries and putting them into the mill and soft flour magically filling the bin. They remembered putting the flour into a bowl, making a well in the middle, and adding the yeast, water, salt, and oil. They especially enjoyed letting the yeast rise and then punching it down, only for it to rise again before we baked it. And of course, they remember the waiting as the bread cooled before we could cut into it. There's something very spiritual about baking bread. Something about the way one engages in a process that has faith in the unseen. I'm not surprised that it's difficult to find flour and yeast during this pandemic. Bread baking seems to call us back to our very core. The feel of the dough in our hands, the sight of it rising again after having been deflated, the smell of bread baking, and of course, of course, the taste of the fruit of our labors. The process is grounding in the product nourishing, wholly life-affirming and life-sustaining. In many cloistered communities, there is an understanding that work and prayer are one and the same. This concept of ora et labora is a way of life in many places and comes from the rule of St. Benedict. Pray and work, it says, work and pray. Bread baking, I find, is a perfect expression of ora et labora because the process already has such a deep sense of spirituality. When I read today's text in Acts 2, however, I think about the practicality of break, baking bread for a crowd that size. Today's text comes right after the Pentecost impartation of the Holy Spirit. Apparently, the sound of the Spirit's visit was loud enough to draw people from the four corners of the earth, or at least Jerusalem, because people came to the house who spoke many different languages. So filled with the Holy Spirit were those who had been in the house when the Spirit came, that those crowding around them assumed they were drunk. Peter stood up and addressed all the Jews and all who lived in Jerusalem, so he was speaking also to Gentiles. In what was apparently a barn burner of a sermon, Peter stood up among the twelve and told a story about the love of God and the work of Christ. It was so powerful that three thousand persons were baptized. In case you're wondering, yes, this makes preachers feel a little bit inadequate, from a few scattered followers to a megachurch in a matter of hours. The verse immediately preceding today's lection helps set the scene for our text. It reads, So those who welcomed his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 persons were added. And it goes on, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Awe came upon everyone, because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. This is what life was like in the community with new believers. Devotion to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, breaking bread together, and prayer. 
So the new believers went around with the apostles, watching them perform signs and wonders. They ate together and prayed together. All that sounds like they were simply living life together in community, going about the work that Jesus had left for them. In short, they were all practicing ora et labora, prayer and work. But then I got to thinking about that miraculous day of the Jesus followers ranks swelling by 3,000. If that many persons are breaking bread, someone must be baking bread. Imagine then what it would have been like to be a woman in the kitchen on the day of Pentecost. You're going about your business, baking cakes of bread for a few dozen people. All of a sudden, you're hearing reports of more and more people being baptized, and in a few hours' time, your numbers have grown to 20 gross. Who has that much grain on hand? Who can afford to purchase that much at once, and where, and how would one even go about it? How might one carry that much grain and water back to the house and even begin to prepare it? The mind boggles. Somehow, though, they must have managed, and verse 44 gives us a hint as to how it all worked. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. The Greek word for common is koinos. It is the same root from which we get koinonia, for community. During these days, the community was radically reoriented toward love. Jerusha Matson Neal writes, Similar to English, the Greek word for common has multiple connotations. It can refer to things commonly held or shared, as in, they had all things in common. But it can also mean things that are not set apart or holy. Common things are ordinary things, unconsecrated things, or even unclean things. The community is reoriented toward divine love through the resurrected life of Jesus. But this divine love is lived out in common ways, ordinary ways. Acts speaks of wonders and signs in verse 43, but in this passage, the signs described are common choices about food, time, and money. The common, unholy stuff of life is reoriented for the purposes of God. Apostolic teaching is important, but so is community fellowship. The material act of eating together and the spiritual labor of praying together are both seen as marks of faithfulness. All of life is drawn into the Spirit's tether. End quote. So, friends, I wonder, what would it mean for us to be radically reoriented toward the common good? In our culture, it seems impossible, even laughable, to think that a community roughly the size of Mount Pocono would share all things in common. Yet that's what the text says happened on the day of Pentecost. And not only that, but we are seeing some hints of it even now in our country. It is for the common good that people are wearing masks when they go out in public. It is for the common good that we are refraining from doing things we normally would do with our time and our money. It is for the common good that we are currently refraining from gathering together in person. There's a wistful irony in our spending time with a passage on gathering when we are refraining from doing so. Yet when we look for a lesson in this passage of Acts, we find some important clues to communal life. First, we are shaped by our practice. When we devote ourselves to God's work in the world, when we recognize that we sit at a common table, and when we pray, 
We are participating in the things that forge us, creating in us greater strength of character. This is one of the goals of Aura et Labora, being formed into God's image in our work and our prayer. Second, communal life that accepts outsiders into our boundaries is often chaotic, and that's okay. It's okay that everything is not as certain as we would like it to be. It's okay that the community's needs are dynamic and ever-changing, reminding us that sometimes we must shift focus to meet need. It's okay that we often feel unmoored in our work. Certainty is not holier than risk. And third, when we are imbued with the Holy Spirit, when we can hold a grace space for all of this need and change, things change. The lection closes with these two verses. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Peter received the Holy Spirit and shared a message about God's work in the world, and people came into the fold. Whether it was to learn about this Jesus, to belong somewhere, to find a community or something else entirely, their numbers grew daily. And when people joined the community, they saw the good work that the apostles did, and they ate together, and they prayed together. They engaged in ora et labora. When people sat at the table for the first time, others made room for them among their ranks. They learned new ways of being in the world. They worshiped, served, learned, and fellowshiped together. This is a picture for us, church, as we learn new ways of being church in our contemporary moment. May we be open to the wind of the spirit, sometimes gentle, sometimes fierce, as we live into these days. Amen.